Well, good morning. There's nothing quite like almost dropping the podium and then really trying to see exactly how strong your shoulder is. As you can see, I've not been blessed with an extensive amount of muscle. So, you know, anyways, that could have been very bad. You guys could have been picking me up off the floor. Well, good morning. We're excited to be together this morning. Grateful for the sunshine. Can I get a hearty amen on that? Oh my gosh, we love springish, whatever it is, in Oregon. And this is just amazing. We were going with the, the moniker Brisk and Beautiful this morning. And uh, so it was, it's, it's been a wonderful day and we're grateful to have the sunshine. Grateful to be together and worshiping God. What an incredible time in worship. Grateful for our worship team and for all they're doing to lead us uh, when we come into this place into a heart of worship. And so uh, just grateful for that today. Well, we had a couple of things that, that are going on. The, the big game watch party happening at 3.15. Let's just, let's just dispel with the, you know, the, the thoughts or opinions on whether or not football should be watched in the church. Here's the deal, people. This is just an excuse for us to get together, okay? We're just looking to, we're just looking to have, have community, have, have a meal together, have some fun together, have a laugh together, play some games. I know there's some pinochle players out there, and I know you think you're good. Um, but there will be some pinochle being, being played. And uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, Gretchen and I are the greatest pinochle players that have ever walked the face of the earth. So, that being said, the gauntlet has been laid. <clears throat> There's some coughing. Somebody get that young lady a glass of water. Um, but we are, we are excited to be together this afternoon, and we just hope you'll come and have a good time and, and, and be with us for that. It's going to be a great time. just want to thank Bonnie Timberlake. Uh, for all the work that she is doing behind the scenes, getting food and everything ready. Uh, she is the one who brings this all together, and uh, it's really just going to be an amazing time, so we're excited for that. Our annual business meeting is, is approaching. I know you guys have been waiting all year for this, and so the wait is almost over. Um, on the 27th, we'll be coming together at 6 o'clock. There are annual reports out there, because I know some of you like to do your homework as you come in. Uh, for the business meeting. So those are available out in the lobby. There's a few copies of those if you want to get a head start and uh, just see all the wonderful things that happened in 2021. Just uh, want to, by way of, of, of welcoming, welcome uh, missionary Ken Huff, uh, who is a friend to Neighborhood Church and a friend to this community for, well, I was just going to say a lot of years, but that might date him. He doesn't look a day over yeah, well, yeah, we'll go with that. But Ken, we're grateful to have you with us this morning, and thank you for all that you do. Uh, Ken is a missionary with the Assemblies of God to Cambodia, and uh, the ministry that he's done there for decades, literally, is incredible, and we're truly grateful for you and for your friendship, and, uh, and we're grateful to be able to be alongside of you in the work that God is doing, not only here in the city of Albany, but around the world. So welcome. Thank you for being with us this morning. Yeah, you can totally... These are, the, these are the heroes of the faith, I'm telling you right now, and uh, we're grateful for them. So if you get an opportunity to, uh, to say a quick hello to, to Ken, I know he'll appreciate it. Well, this, this past week, we, we began a conversation centered around one of the greatest attributes of healthy and meaningful community, and that is the attribute of hospitality. We've been talking about this, this need to understand the biblical concept of hospitality, to understand what it means to invite people into community. And we find a lot in Scripture about this invitation to community and relationship. And it's important that we embrace God's desire that this heart to love and serve people should be brought into our daily lives. It shouldn't be kind of a, an add-on or something that we, that we do you know, when we just have enough time. But, but this desire for spiritual relationship it's something that should be absolutely found foundational uh, to our walk with Jesus and to our interaction with one another. You see, too often we, we tend to see true hospitality as something that we have to diligently plan and prepare for. We, we, we think we have to clear our schedules of anything meaningful in order to be fully available and able to engage community, to serve people. The reality is a picture of hospitality and service that we see in Scripture is anything but that. We see it all throughout the Old and the New Testament. The hospitality of Abraham, 
He was entertaining angels. The, the hospitality of, of the Good Samaritan on his way you know, to, to do something. If you read Scripture for very long in that passage, it's clear he was en route to doing something. But he was on his way and he comes upon the traveler who had been beaten and left for dead and he cares for him. And he gives of himself and his, his time. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't planned. Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus is walking through the city and he comes to the place where he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm coming to your house today. I want to have lunch. He engages Zacchaeus in relationship. Or the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus had not planned to show up at you know, this amazing venue and, and he thought, oh, I'm going to go out there. There's that, that you know, Newsboys concert going on and I bet you the people are getting a little hangry. And so I'll just go out there and we'll get, you know, find some kid, steal his lunch, and we'll make do, right? No, that wasn't, a, that wasn't at all what had happened. Jesus had got away and the crowds followed Him and He was teaching and He was ministering and healing people. And all of a sudden, the disciples say, send them away. They're, they're, getting, they're getting grumpy and they're getting hungry. They need to go home. It's late in the day. And Jesus looks at His disciples and says, you give them something to eat. We all know what happened. But God's command in Scripture is to show love to the most vulnerable. It's to show hospitality, to, to reach to the least of these. And so often we tend to blow right by those opportunities in the busyness of our lives. See, we, we talked last Sunday about hospitality being defined as love for the stranger. We talked about that picture of hospitality in the Bible is as travelers going through cities and towns, wayward travelers, people who were weary and tired and needed shelter and needed food. And that those opportunities were ones that were oftentimes not people that they were expecting. Yet this, this is a challenge for many of us because we don't like to navigate too far outside of our comfort zone and our daily routines. We all kind of like rhythm and routine. You know, I like to get up and do the same things the same way you know, each and every day. It just feels safe. You know, it feels, feels good. But God's desire is that we would push outside of our comfort zones, that we would get outside of our learned behaviors. And every one of us at some point in our lives has likely uttered the phrase, remember, honey, we don't talk to strangers. Or perhaps you've been on the receiving end of that little nice phrase. But the truth is, we, we put boundaries, wise boundaries, in place for our kids and for ourselves because we want to keep ourselves out of a place of vulnerability or danger. We want to keep ourselves safe. But how often do these mindsets then begin to insulate us from a willingness or a desire to reach outside of ourselves, to reach out for community, to reach out for relationship. See, hospitality was, was not meant to be a burden to bear. It wasn't meant to be this, this heavy weight that we carry around like, oh my gosh, God wants me to love people. Oh, this is so difficult. That wasn't what we see in Scripture at all. No, we don't. But too often we, we navigate in a, in, in a way in life that embraces Friendliness, kindness, or an attitude of hospitality is something we need to put on. I don't feel like it today, so I, you know, I'm going to have to try and smile. You know, and I don't really want to love people, but the Bible says I should, so. And we've all been there at different points in our lives, right? We get on an airplane and we sit down and, and we sit there and we just pray. God, don't let anybody sit in my row. Don't let anybody sit in my row. Don't let anybody sit in my row. And then, of course, you, you, and, you, and you, you know how it is. They're walking down the aisle, and you try not to make eye contact. You're like looking up at the you know, ceiling, and then you make eye contact, and boom, sit down right next to you. You're just like, oh, come on. This was my space. This was my bubble. And then they have the audacity to ask us our name and want to talk to us. It's just not cool. And then we, you know, you get onto the elevator and the doors are just about to close and you're just about to be enveloped in the silence and solitude and maybe a little bit of elevator music. Right as it 
boom, the hand comes through and catches the door and the thing flies back open and everybody pours in and you're like, <laughs> crying out loud. My beautiful silence has been stolen from me like a newspaper. Or you arrive at the dentist or the doctor's office a little bit early. Right? You walk in, you get checked in, and you're directed to the waiting room. As you, you sit down, you, you look around feverishly for a magazine to grab and throw up in front of your face so that nobody engages you in conversation, and all you have is Cosmo and men's health. It's like, well, I'm not going to grab that. We tend to get to that place where we don't want to engage in relationship. We don't want to go outside of our usual way of living. But God's desire was never that we be burdened down with the impossible task of being everyone's best friend. No, instead He tells us to look for those whom society doesn't see. Those people that are struggling through life trying to find hope, trying to find peace, trying to find strength. And if we look at the life of Jesus, He was always doing this. He was always healing the sick. He was always touching the leper. He was spending time with those in society that everybody else had brushed to the side. The tax collectors, the prostitutes, the destitute, those people that had been forgotten or marginalized or categorized as unclean. Too often we... We, we tend to hold people at an arm's length, neg neglecting to provide hospitality or meet the needs of the poor, the widows, the fatherless, the addicted. It's too much. It's too much effort. When the truth is every one of us is just a series of key decisions in life from being on the street, from being overcome by addictive behaviors, from being without hope. See, we were never meant to carry the weight of a broken society only to see opportunities to share and show the love of Jesus. That's what He's called us to. To love God and love people. An author by the name of Christine Pohl in her book, Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition, writes, strangers are people without a place. To be without a place means to be detached from basic life-supporting institutions. Do you know anybody who's detached? Do you know anybody who's, who's been removed? They, they, they're without a place. They don't feel accepted. They don't feel like they belong. See, last week we talked about hospitality as an offer to identify with outsiders and treat them like insiders. This shouldn't be seen as a burden to carry. But it instead as a gift to be given when it's least expected. People don't know anybody when people feel disconnected, when they walk in and they look around the church and they go, uh, I guess I'll just go find a seat real quick. But it's welcoming people in as, as if they were insiders. See, God carried the greatest weight of hospitality in sending Jesus to die for us. Truth is, when, when we were still strangers, when we were still sinners, that's when God sent His Son. And thus, the perfect sacrifice was made so we could be invited into a loving relationship. We could be called insiders. We could once, once again be restored as God's children and His chosen. You know, a lifestyle of hospitality shouldn't ever be an afterthought, an add-on, extra credit. Spiritual extra credit. Because when your heart is to daily serve others, you won't need the, the clouds to part or to hear a booming voice from heaven you know, in order to desire to show hospitality. Desire to love people. Rosaria Butterfield writes in her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Radically ordinary hospitality is this using your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors part of the family of God. Is that our desire? To make strangers neighbors and to make neighbors part of the family of God? Are we looking for opportunities to invite people in to the family of God? 
I think we would probably all be hard-pressed to say yes to that one because we tend to get bound up in our busyness. We tend to go about our day just running kind of a mile a minute and not realizing that God is placing people in our paths left and right. Our text today is found in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If you want to flip there, you can join me. If you have your mobile device, you can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can jump on events and search Neighborhood Church. But in Hebrews chapter 13, there's a somewhat familiar passage of Scripture. The author of Hebrews is, is exhorting us on how we're called to love and show hospitality. He says this in verse 1, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you that you not only invite us into relationship, Father, you call us to love people the same way. We ask that you give us the strength, give us the awareness, give us the understanding that the people that you're bringing across our paths, no matter where they come from, are not that different than us. They're without hope, they can't find peace. They're struggling to understand their purpose in life. And as we were there before we came to the knowledge of how much you love us and the plan and the purpose that you have for our lives, we should understand what that feels like. To feel like an outsider. But you were willing to invite us in to be part of your family. So help us, Lord, to have those eyes, to have that awareness to see people and to seek to invite them into your family. Help us today, we ask God, in Jesus' name. Amen. You see, in this, in this passage of Scripture, we see the call to, to love one another as brothers and sisters, and that seems simple enough. seems to be a, a great idea. But I don't know about you. I don't know how you loved your siblings. For me, it was a little bit different. Uh, I come from a family of four boys, as most of you know, in the Clements house. The way that we showed love was by insulting one another. Hasn't changed a whole lot, but you know. But for us, love was shown in cutting each other down, and you know, if one you know threw out an insult, well, you came up with something better, you know, and you you you, you kind of we all one upped each other. My mom used to say that we like to walk around the house. You know, as people came in to hang out, and we'd all walk around marking our territory. And that was pretty accurate. You know, it was just, it was this continual thing. And so, love for us, particularly of our siblings, looked a little different. But the author of Hebrews is actually calling us to a, what, what in some translations is called a love for the brethren. Love for the brethren. Now, that's not a word we use a lot these days, brethren. Kind of feels like one of those ones that, you know, should be right there with, with God, that you should deep, deepen your voice, you know, the word of God, you know, and the brethren, you know, it should be said with some profound, you know, depth. But I can remember growing up as, as I was a kid, and I, I thought the brethren in, in the church were the ushers, right? Because whenever the pastor would get up, he'd say, we'd like to invite the brethren to come, and they're going to wait on you for your tithes and your offerings. So I was like, the brethren are the ushers. I got this thing on lock. I got it figured out. Until one day when they called the brethren forth and my brothers, Pete and Ned, my two older brothers popped up and went up to take the offering. And I was like, wait, what? Pete and Ned are part of the brethren? What is going on? And my whole world was just turned upside down. My mind was blown. It's like, you know, elbowing my mom and dad. I'm like, they're the brethren. But the brethren, when we talk about that in Scripture, represents the church. Represents the family of God, the body of Christ. And we're called to have love first and foremost for the body of Christ. We're called to love one another. We're called to come together in community and to show love and appreciation and encourage one another and pray with one another and laugh with one another and cry with one another. 
We're called to love here first. And there's a parallel principle at work here. If, you, if we can't love the family of God, well then how are we going to ever be able to love the stranger? Think about it. If we can't come together as a spiritual family, if we can't come together as the body of Christ, and we can't love one another and lift one another and encourage one another, how in the world are we going to walk out into the world and love those people? Because if we're honest, some of them are just downright unlovable. There is most definitely a tendency and a temptation that we all face to varying degrees to love those people that are easy to love. It's a temptation to attempt obedience to verses like this in the abstract and the theoretical. Oh, yeah, you know, love, love my brothers and sisters. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds great, and it's great to stitch on a pillow and maybe even you know, put on one of those fancy things that we would hang in our home next to, you know, as, as for me, my, my house will serve the Lord. If you just go put that right up there, you know, love your brothers and sisters. But sometimes it's easier to love in theory than it is in, in practicum to actually do it, to actually take the steps to sacrifice my needs for the needs of someone else. Sometimes we end up not actually loving anybody at all. It's just easier that way. The Apostle John gives us a, a sober warning to ponder in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. It says, Whoever claims to love God, yet hates a brother or sister, is a liar. Let that one smack you right between the eyes. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister sister if we if we claim to love God and, and yet we don't love people John says we're a liar it's pretty harsh and yet what are the commandments of God love the Lord your God with all your heart mind strength love your neighbors yourself See, it's easy to love and profess love for an abstract and the theoretical and the conceptual it's another matter altogether to love in the real, in the concrete, in the minutes and hours and days of our lives, and, and with the resources and energy that we know are all limited. Have you ever gotten to the end of the day and you're like, gosh, why are there only 24 hours in the day? Can't I just have a 25th just today? Because we live in a finite world. Yet God is calling us to an infinite love. The love that only He can really give and show. But Jesus relentlessly reduced the law for us to this simple principle, this one principle of rightly ordered loves. He taught us in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 22 that the two greatest principles of the law, principles that you can boil all the other laws that you find in Scripture down to, love the Lord our God with everything we are, love our neighbor as ourselves. It's simple. Real love and service should always start here. But it should always go out. It should always start in the home, but it should go out. Because real act of faith is best evidenced in how we serve other people. Our faith is best on display when we're loving people. Because that's what we've been called to. The gospel without love is an empty gospel. God sent His Son to die for you and for me because He loved. And He's called us to share that love. And when we don't, boom! We put a wall in front of the gospel, not allowing the love of Jesus to flow forward. And I don't know about you, I don't ever want to hinder the work of the gospel. I don't ever want to be the, the, the stopping point of Jesus' love just because it doesn't fit into my schedule. The love of the church doesn't end in the church. It expands outwards into the world through you and through me, 
through Ken and other people who have said yes to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What an incredible privilege we have. And when you think about the history of the church, think about this. Our most powerful witness to the world has been how we love and serve people. Think about any hospital, any, any orphanage, any university, any, any relief organization. Those things were birthed in the church, in Christianity, in, in Christ-like love. That's where they came from. But we tend to, to just kind of blow by those things in Western civilization because there's an urgent care on every corner and there's the hospital over there and there's you know, the relief organization, there's the fish and helping hands and all these people are doing great work. Isn't that awesome? And we lose sight of the fact that that is God incarnate working through people to love the world. The reality is when the author of Hebrews penned this verse, hospitality was not a casual thing. It wasn't available. There was no urgent cares and you know, relief organizations and, you know, oh yeah, if you got a need, just go right over there down the street, take a right, two lefts, and you're there. And, and they've got a soup kitchen for you. You're good. That's not how it worked. If you traveled, you often had to rely on a stranger knocking on a door for food and for shelter and for sustenance because life was a little tougher back then. And in some countries of the world, it's still that way where communities rely on one another. It would be commonplace for the Hebrew Christians to face requests for food and lodging and for more. Hebrews 13.2, go back to the text, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. This, of course, refers back to when Abraham entertained the three men washed their feet and provided food and shelter and rest. But the author points them to this opportunity for the gospel to be breathed, for the gospel to be shared. Christ, who took us in as strangers and made us family, would have us love strangers the same way, would have us reach outside of ourselves the same way, with the same love. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You were a stranger and an outsider, and Christ died. And you were welcomed into the family of God as an insider with all the rights, with all the privileges that exist. Of every spiritual practice, hospitality may arguably be at the root of the developing life with God. Stepping out in love. Seeing our life used to bless someone else. See, the whole Bible is the story of divine hospitality. It truly is. Because it's the story of God's welcome for all to come. That was His desire all along. We messed it up when we sinned. And yet He still sent Jesus so that we could be restored into relationship. So that we could be restored into a place of being called insiders. Sometimes we have a tendency to wonder how we can see God as so welcoming because we know how the story ends. There's justice. God is a righteous judge. And we know that at some point there will be people who will no longer have the opportunity to be welcomed in. And so there's a, a little bit of a struggle to understand both sides of that. But here's the reality. The Bible reflects the understanding that the truth of the Gospel is exclusive. Do you understand that? The Gospel is a dividing force. We either choose to believe or we choose not to. There's consequences to both decisions. So the Gospel is an exclusive force. But here's the reality. God's love is not. God's love is perfect. It's an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to community. We're called to love God and love people. It's not all that complex, and yet we overcomplicate it constantly. Consequently, the way we love, serve, and welcome people is the greatest sign 
of our love and trust in God. You want people to know you're a follower of Jesus? Love people. You want people to know that you're a Christ follower? Serve people without strings attached. You want people to know you're a Christian? Be the one who stops on the road when everybody else is going around and saying, that person needs help. God's welcome is for all. He's made a way for us all. And ultimately, it's our responsibility not to exclude ourselves or anyone else from God's welcome to community. See, the reality is that real hospitality has always been meant for those on the outside. God's form of hospitality has always been meant to draw people in. Coming back to Jesus' teaching of the great commandments, He commands you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. But too often, the temptation is to choose the more desirable neighbors as those to love, right? We like the neighbors who, you know, when they drive by, they wave at us first and then we wave back. Hey, aren't they a nice neighbor? You know, we don't like those that speed through the neighborhood and you have to put the little, little guy, sign guy out with the flag that says, you know, drive like your kids live here too. You, know, you don't like those people. I like having those neighbors over for crying out loud. You need to learn how to drive. But we tend to find those people that we want to find it easy to love. In Luke chapter 10, there was an expert in the law. We all know the story. And he was trying to test Jesus in the area of understanding who his neighbor was. And in verse 25, he asks, he says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love this. Jesus answers a question with a question. So great. What does Jesus say? He says, what is written in the law? And in Luke 10, 27, the showdown ensues. You ready for this? Listen carefully to this exchange. It's up on the board. Verse 27, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And what happened? But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And you can probably see the guy kind of puffing his chest. Well, who's my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A a priest happened to go down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? And we all know his response the one who showed mercy. See, let's, let's not miss what's happening here. The first thing we have to hear is that this man wanted to quickly affirm that he knew the commandment to love his neighbor. He knew the law. It's no accident they say he's an expert in the law. He, he knew what was going on. All he was really trying to do was justify his indifference to those in need. He wasn't living out the law. He knew the law. But now he needed to justify the fact that his actions didn't line up with what he knew. So he seems to deflect into this question and basically says, let's get philosophical about who really is our neighbor. Tries to find an upper hand. Jesus makes it very clear what true hospitality looks like. And then it leads to loving those who are unseen. See, the Scripture says when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He took pity on him. There are lives all along life's pathway. 
that are wounded, people that are in real need, people's lives who've been destroyed and wrecked emotionally, physically, spiritually. And these wounds and these needs take many forms, some visible, some invisible. And there are some who've become entirely lost and are so far from beyond hope that they don't even know what end is up, much less who God is. And they're seen by almost no one. They struggle silently, wondering if anybody will notice, if anybody will care. There are people daily who cross in front of us who are hurting. People daily that God brings across our paths who are hurting. And if we're not careful, we can begin to believe hospitality and care for others as something secondary or something that's just kind of extra as an add-on for our walk with Jesus. And sometimes we just get sucked into the busyness of life. And that becomes our excuse not to reach out. I got too much to do. I don't have time. Think about this, though. It never actually says how busy the individuals in this story are, what they're doing. But we do know that the the Samaritan had to get to some other responsibilities. He had some other things to do. He couldn't just stay. No, he, he picks the guy up, he bandages him up, he pours oil and wine on, he gets them all taken care of, and he brings them to the inn and he says, take care of them, I'll be back. He clearly had somewhere else he had to be. He had other responsibilities. But he said, I'll be back by. I think it's interesting that the one who does stop and love their neighbor is the one who appears to have had other responsibilities that he needed to attend to. I mean, isn't it interesting? The pastor's probably got his Bible out and he's walking along and he's, he's reading like this and he looks over and thought, well, I'm not going to go anywhere near that nonsense. He's ceremonially unclean. I can't even get near him. Goes by on the other side, the Levite. He does the same thing. So here are the two spiritual leaders in the community who both go blowing by, getting as far away as they can. It says they moved to the other side of the road. It wasn't like, I'm going to give this guy a wide berth. It's like, I'm going to go as far away as I can. And yet the one who is going to take care of something, I like to think of him as the Samaritan businessman. He's the one who stopped. I got somewhere I got to be, but this guy needs help. Jesus isn't telling us that those who have time can help while those who are too busy get a free pass. No, that's not what he's saying at all. He tells us the story of those who appear to justify themselves with religious duties. I'm doing the Lord's work. I can't attend to that. And how the one with responsibilities, the one who had things to do, he was the one who stopped and saw and cared for and managed to still be responsible with the things that he had to get, it, get done that day. See, love and hospitality manifest in a desire to navigate life together. We don't ever look at, at people as less than. We don't ever look at people as, ah, I just don't have time for that. I don't like now, loving and serving people means that we put our own needs and our own priorities aside and we enter into relationship. The truth is hospitality all starts within our homes. It starts with us committing to to love our neighbors, to invite non-Christians and those outside community to our dinner tables. To be willing to show love to the undesirable. See, the greatest gifts of love and hospitality happen when we're willing to just simply pay attention. That we allow ourselves to walk through life with our eyes wide open. Seeing the world through God's eyes seeing people's hurt as something that we can maybe do something about. But do we see those individuals and families who show up to our church and and have not yet connected? 
Do we see people walk through the doors and say, I don't recognize that person. I wonder, I wonder if they've ever been here before. I wonder if they know anybody. Or do we just let them kind of walk by thinking, oh, the greeters and the hosts and the hospitality people, they'll all take care of it. After all, it's their job. They got that fancy lanyard. I'll let them attend to them. Or do we say, no, hey, come sit next to me. Come be a part of what we're doing here. Come be an insider. Because I remember what it was like to be that person the first time. Are we willing to move outside our Sunday lunch groups? Oh, now, Pastor, you're hitting home. I don't know, now you're starting to mess with my world. Are we willing to... I've seen some of you out there. you got 63 tables, you know, and you're, you guys are all lined up and holding court in the local restaurants. It's beautiful. I love it. I love to see community happen like that. It does my heart good. But are we willing to invite people into that? Hey, we're going to grab a bite to eat after church. Why don't you come along with us? We'd love, we'd love to have you be a part of that. Invite them into your little party. Invite them into your little fun fest. You know, over the years, one of Gretchen's and my greatest passions has been giving, having people in our home. It's, it's been giving hospitality to people. Not because we have this burning desire to boost our best friend's count. Just, that's not it at all. No, but we love providing a space for people to connect. We love providing food to be consumed and stories to be shared and laughter to erupt and prayers to be taking place. Those moments where we can laugh together and cry together and encourage one another and hear people's backgrounds and where they, where they come from. Sometimes be amazed by a simple story of someone's life. Sometimes the first step is just being willing to do life together with other people. It's just being willing to say, Man, I, you know, we were going to eat anyways. Might as well maybe ask somebody if they want to come over and be a part of it. Does it mean you have to move heaven and earth to make sure the house is perfect and the trees are all trimmed and the shrubs look just perfect, you know. No, just invite people into the community. They don't care. I came across a book this past week entitled Just Open the Door, How One Invitation Can Change a Generation. I want to close today reading an excerpt from that book. And I've asked Gretchen to come up and, and share from that book, and then we'll close. As I think back on where my legacy of hospitality started, my memories surround our childhood doorway. I can't really describe it in great detail. That's how little it, its appearance even mattered. But I do remember its purpose. It housed both a storm door and a screen door. The heavy door kept out the brutal Wisconsin winter, while the other door contained a large screen for those rare days when we captured the magic of spring and summer. My favorite days growing up, the ones when the screen door announced action. Slam in. Slam out. I'd hear it again. Slam, slam. In or out, my mom's voice echoed through the house. Please stop slamming the door. To me, though the slam was never one of annoyance, its reoccurring sound breathed life. It meant things were happening. Dropping their mud-covered bikes on our grass, kids stormed through the door, hoping my brothers could come and play. Slam! A neighbor door, sorry, a neighbor lady popped her head in, asking for an extra egg. Slam! A missionary family spending the week with us while home on furlough returned from an errand or on a nearby um, speaking engagement. Slam! Slam! But more than anything, I remember hearing the sound of that door slam on Sunday nights. Slam, slam, slam. Long before Field of Dreams popularized the phrase, my parents had already per personified the message of, if you build it, they will come. With a genuine love for others and inspired by an outside vision for impacting their community, 
They defied the indoor space limitations of our 1,500 square foot house and poured a concrete pad in the backyard. Thus began an informal volleyball league meeting every Sunday night. Friends, kids, and strangers alike gathered from all over. Simple snacks lined the table complete with stacks of coolers filled with cold drinks. Smoky aromas from a charcoal grill wafted through the air. Laughter mingled with the casual delights of shared conversation, punctuated by roars of cheering and applause for points scored and exceptional plays. High fives all around. Slam, 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 slam. There was never anything fancy about it. Come Sunday night, bring your favorite beverage, a little something to eat, and let's have fun playing together. But I'm telling you, a whole lot more than volleyball took place on those incredibly memorable evenings of my childhood. What started out as loosely connected community came together around a game, only to turn into friendships that lingered into lasting relationships, life after life, story after story. You see, when it comes to community, we oftentimes tend to look at our limitations. We tend to look at those things and focus on those things that would keep us from being able to invite people in. The reality is sometimes we just have to be willing to say yes. The hospitality, this love of strangers, this welcoming of guests includes our homes and places of living, but it's not just limited to that. Jesus embodies the the, this, this idea of hospitality in all its fullness, and He never once had a home. He did so with whom He shared the meals with. Who He noticed, who He attended to, and ultimately those for whom He died for you and for me. So here's the challenge. Are we willing to invite people into hospitality? Are we willing to open our door to say yes to allowing strangers to be part of our family? To allow people to be engaged in our life? To say yes to community? Even when maybe it's not totally convenient? Jesus calls us to love our neighbors. And this becomes a very dynamic calling when we allow it to include our actual neighbors. Those who live nearby us. This hospitality challenge, it's about embracing the power of initiation. It's about simply choosing to express loving thoughtfulness to those neighbors, to those co-workers, to those people that God has surrounded us with. So are you willing to step out in faith and, and really, truly be the neighborhood? Your mission, should you choose to accept it? Begin to make a list of people you know as just acquaintances. Maybe the people that you can invite into relationship. How might God allow you to invite them into community? Perhaps, maybe, just maybe, it's as simple as what the book said. Just open the door. Would you stand to your feet and pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us into community. We thank you that you loved us so much you were willing to send your son so that we could be called your children and enter into relationship with you. Pray today, Father, that you would open our eyes to a world that needs your love. And that you would lead and guide us by your Spirit to those individuals that you've put across our path in a desire to point them to you. God, we need your help. It's not totally natural for us. Sometimes we have to move outside of our own desires to truly do it. Father, we want to love people the way that you've loved us. So we ask humbly for your help today. You would strengthen us in a way that gives us the ability to see people, to seek out opportunities, to invite them into community and relationship. God, we thank you that we don't have to do it on our own. We don't have to do it in our own power, but you will 
bring the people to us. You'll open our eyes and you'll give us the words to encourage them and bless them. So God, we say yes today to the kind of love and hospitality you're calling us to. We thank you for giving us the privilege to be a part of what you're doing in this world. God, we love you. We thank you. Perhaps this morning you are in that place where you've not made the decision to follow Jesus with your whole heart. You've not made the decision to enter into community with God. The Bible is very clear that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God had raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. It's that simple to enter into the family of God. But it takes a confession and a belief. So this morning we want to give you that opportunity. As many have made that decision before, we want to give you that opportunity to make that decision today. If you desire to do that, would you pray this prayer with us? Believing that as we make this declaration of faith, that God will accept us into His community. Church, can we say this together? Say, Father God, please forgive me. I've sinned and I've made a lot of mistakes. I believe Your Son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth to show me how to live. And He died and was raised back to life so I could have a relationship with You. I ask You today to come into my heart to be the Lord of my life. Change the things in me I can't change as I choose to live for You today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me be the first to say welcome to the community of God. Welcome to the family of God. It is the greatest decision that we can make. I'm grateful this morning that we have the opportunity to step out into meaningful community and to invite people in to that relationship. Now this morning, this, this afternoon, I guess, we're going to be continuing on in an attitude of community, so we invite you to Come back at 3.15 to be a part of our big game watch party. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun, a lot of food. Uh, thank you again to Bonnie for the preparations that she's making. We do have our prayer team available to you this morning. So if you would like prayer for something specific or someone to agree with you in prayer, please uh, connect with them. They're around the, the worship center. And as we go out of this place, we say it every week, but this week particularly as we've talked about what this looks like, let's go out and be the neighborhood. God bless you and have a wonderful, wonderful week.